Yo, we are back once again. This is the Wu Tang Podcast. I am Singar Superior, and this is a a special episode. Uh, we're going to have a, a, someone, you know, share a nice Wu Tang story for us and everything like that. Um, chopped it up with this man on Twitter, and that man is MC Rude. What's good with you, man? Yo, what up, Don? How you all feel? What's happening? You know, can I get a sue for the Wu? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I guess a little a little background story. Um. What I like to do sometimes, you know, I go on uh, the clan's Twitter and everything like that and just look at the comments to see what people are talking about with regards to the Wu. And um, I came across uh, MC Rude's uh, one of his tweets and it was it, and it revolved around him, like, you know, trying to find a platform like to tell Wu-Tang stories, essentially. Right. Correct, sir. Cool. Yeah. And uh, I came across and I'm like. Hey, you can come on the podcast and talk about it if you want. I think this is going to be a really interesting story. Just you know, uh, you know what we were talking about right before we uh, we began recording and everything like that. Uh, where are you from, and and uh, and what was your experience like first listening to Wu Tang? Oh my God, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, you know, uh, my record label was Killamall Records, and I released a uh, record. You know, with uh, Tone Boots, who's a phenomenal producer. He lives in New York City, Los Angeles. He go back and forth. He worked with Jimmy Henchman. But before he got on, he was, um, you know, uh, living in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, he produced my first EP. Um, and he was a wolf banger. And uh, he was playing the woo. But at that point, you know, the whole world was on G-Funk. The whole world was on Ice Cube. You know, it had switched from, you know, the West Coast. I mean, from the East Coast, um, pardon me, to the um, West Coast. So he would always play Wu-Tang. And when we were doing shows like at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, little showcases and places like that, and we would take those long road trips, he would play Wu-Tang. And I would want to play Dr. Dre. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were, we were kind of conflict over that. But, yeah, um, Tone Boots, phenomenal producer, you know, work with MTV, you know, um, you know, he's on Twitter as well. He's the one who hit me to Wu-Tang. And so, you know, since you were, you know, uh, you, were on, you were in the music scene around that time anyway, uh, so I guess it doesn't make, it's not that much of a surprise, I should say, that you then went to the uh, new music seminar in 93 right 92 first and 93 and that's when i first really got to noticing who the members of the wu-tang clans were because method man had dissed me but he didn't know that he was dissing me but i had a rock group signed to my label called the method you know peace to the god nate farley he went out to uh become a member of guided by voices a rock and roll group so i had released the method um, on my label and they were going around New York city. Cause I brought the whole label, you know, to the new music seminar, um, which was a big, you know, convention and showcase. And, you know, this was before the internet, you know, when, you know, we had just beepers and Motorola cell phones, they were post bills. Like like yeah, no, this was in 93, 93. That was the last show. Oh, yeah, but that like was, the... yeah. You know, so you know the, what I'm saying like it started like in the 80s with Tom Silverman, Tommy Boy and everything like exa- that. Oh, yes. Yes, sir. You're right. You're right. You're exactly right. And but 93 okay. was the last year. So, you know, I you know printed up little stickers for the method. And then the Wu-Tang Clan would come, you know, whoever was doing a street team promotion, they would post their stickers, their method man stickers over the method, you know, 
um, stickers. So then our little crew come to me like, yo, 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 you know, Method Man is putting up his stickers over top of the Method. What can I do? I'm a cat from Ohio. So, you know what I'm saying? I was like, who's this Method Man cat? You know what I'm saying? Why are they dissing us? So, you know, that, that was how the whole lead up to where it's like, it was just such a tremendous buzz at New Music Seminar 93 over the Wu-Tang Clan. You know, that was when EVE and Dr. Dre and Suge Knight was going through their beef. And, we, you know, they all was there, you know, at uh, the New Music Seminar, Russell Simmons, you know, Chuck D, everybody who was anybody, you know, was there. You know, Sophia Chang had quit her little job at Job Records to um, manage Miss Kilo. You know, she's on the, I believe, the Above the Rim soundtrack. I'm down with my Negro. I don't want to use the N-word and send anybody. But, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it was just so, so much drama going on there, but it was controlled because this is before, you know, um, you know, gunplay really got into hip-hop. But, you know, it was kind of peaceful. You know, it wasn't so violent. But, you know, that shelter show changed everything. You know, that's when the East Coast, West Coast beef really got started. It wasn't Suge Knight's little comment at the Source Awards. It was that, that incredible Wu-Tang show, that incredible Wu-Tang show at the shelter. Okay, and um, and also the the shelter, like, I guess during that time, it was like kind of like a house club and everything like that? I don't know exactly what kind of genre of music that they played at the time because during New Music Seminar, a lot of the clubs in New York City would hold showcases, like the Palladium is where Spice One got royally booed. But that's where also MTV used to have that little dance party show. You know, when, you know, they would do a little, you know, dance show, you know, when it was like Yo MTV raps and then, you know, Yo MTV dancing or whatever. So, you know, the shelter used to be a legitimate bomb shelter, you know, during the Cold War era. So they transformed it into a club. The tunnel was closed at that point, as well as the paradise, you know, the garage and all those other spots. But the shelter at that point was a bomb shelter. So you really had like a little map of the city. You had to sometimes take a cab there, you know, to get to these showcases where these groups were performing. Wu-Tang, obviously, they weren't Wu-Tang yet, but there was like a lot of buzz building. So, um, and, and this is like after 36 Chambers um, comes out, Right. Right. And, uh, you know, it was right at the point before they blew up in secondary markets. And I, I have to stress that in secondary markets, like, like I said, I'm from Ohio. So at that point, the West Coast, the G-Funk, the Snoop Doggy Dogs, the NWAs, you know, they were the ones who in secondary markets were copied. You know, they resonated more in the secondary markets because everybody, you know, could afford starter jackets that NWA started. And the G-Funk, of course, you know, Boosie Collins is from Ohio, from Cincinnati, and uh, Roger Troutman is from Dayton. So G-Funk is international, and that's what really brought the West Coast on the map. But, you know, that was when, you know, Wu-Tang wasn't known in Ohio at that point only by true hip-hop heads, like Tom Boots. You know, people that just live and breathe hip-hop. People like yourself that live and breathe hip-hop. It was hip-hop back then. It wasn't rap. It was hip-hop. It was a culture. So who, who else performed, if you can remember, at the uh, uh, at this New Music Seminar in 93? 
Oh my God. At that particular show at the shelter? That's mm-hmm. where the East Coast West Coast rivalry began because of a rapper, a lot of you millennials, and a lot of you I really ain't into rap cats don't know, but Cassius Clay, who, who other people call Muhammad Ali the greatest boxer of all time, but his mama named me Cassius Clay, I call him Cassius Clay. His godson, seven foot tall, if not seven two, King's son performed that night. And really? Yeah, King's son. You know, he made a record, I am okay. the son. You know, this cat was this incredible. Yo-Yo was also performing at that show, but she followed King's son's performance. Yo-Yo came on after King's son, and King's son just did that one cut. That was all he needed to do. He just got that cut. New York niggas don't suck, no, and, and that lady that, 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 that divided the whole, either you East Coast or you West Coast. Now, at the shelter, East Coast, everybody's screaming, can I get a soul? And I'm from Ohio. Now, my people's, you know, from Georgia. I slopped hogs before, you know, suey is how you call pigs. <laughs> That's a pig call. So I'm like, why do they keep saying, can I get a suey? Is there pigs? Is there bacon? Are there anti-Semitic? I mean, what's going on? What, what is this? Can I get a suey? So after King Sun did his set, Yo-Yo came on. Nobody was feeling her. They was, can I get a suey? While she's trying to rap. So that distracted her from her rap. Nobody clapped for her. They were booing her. You know, because at that point, it's New York versus West Coast at that point. And you felt it. Spice one got booed. You know, Easy didn't perform. And he brought his group, you know, Blood of Abraham there. And, you know, everybody was on Suge Knife Nuts. So, you know, they didn't get touched. But the smaller people from the West Coast, like Spice Wine, like Yo-Yo, they got booed. You know, they got threatened. And, you know, the, the, the crowd was just going off the chain. You know, I think... um. Not Ed Lover, but the little fat kid, you know, who used to do the 800. They were emceeing the show. So they had to tell the crowd to be patient. Yo, 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 we're going to bring them out. We're going to bring them out. My ego was like, who? I'm in the crowd. Who are you bringing out? Who are these people that these people are going nuts for? Bam. After yo, yo got booed, that's that. Are you rolling with the West Coast? And you're that. And at that point, you know what I'm saying, New York locked down behind, you know, New York. And that was the importance of the Wu-Tang. People give credit for the king of New York being Biggie Smalls and, you know, peace to the God. You know, he's the second greatest lyricist behind Ghostface Killer. I mean, come on. Ghostface Killer came out with Sue Footed Penguin. But nobody knew who these cats were outside of New York at that point, unless you was a diehard hip-hop head and a diehard source reader. Because, you know, Vibe magazine started by Quincy Jones and Emil Wiberkin, a cat that I went to high school with, you know, they were more West Coast Hollywood side, but the source kept it gritty. And, you know, they were doing the unsigned talent thing. That's how Biggie got on. But so unless you read the source, you didn't know who Wu-Tang was. But that night at the shelter, if you saw the Wu-Hoo, if you saw the Wu-Tang Clan perform that night at the shelter, it is impossible impossible not to be a woo-banger after the way they performed. I'll never forget that show. And everyone was there, all nine of them? 
for me was it, uh, and, and everyone each all the all the all the the uh, the, the members were there now that is the strangest thing <laughs> now when the woo came on the crowd went nuts before they even picked up the microphone. And the first person that I personally noticed was Raekwon. Now, here's what that cat was wearing. He had the Nike, I want to say Air Force Ones, but, you know, the Nike running shoes. The, 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 you know, not the, not the Jordans. He had the Nike running shoes with the ankle socks. He had on a pair of baggy blue jean shorts, and he had on a polo rugby type of short uh, shirt. Um, you know, it wasn't a polo with the you know Ralph Lauren. It was like you know just the style of the shirt that's called a polo slash rugby, but it didn't go down to the sleeves like that, like a true rugby shirt does. You know what I'm saying? But the thing that really made him stand out was he had a Kafir on, like Yasser, Yasser, uh, Yasser Arafat from the PLO would wear. You know, that little head, you know, a Kafir. And so that's where, you know, like me, that's where that PLO, PLO style set, you know, they rap about, you know, manifested. But he came on and he was looking so threatening. Now, if all of the Wu-Tang Clan members were there, I do not know. All I know was a gang of surly, dangerous Negroes suddenly appeared on the stage. And the crowd went nuts. And I don't know if you remember this group called Full Force. They, you know, their their big hit was Alice. You know, this was in the Jerry Curl age, and they produced Lisa Lisa and Cold Jam. One of the cats was Bowlegged Lou. So the way Raekwon, the god, came out, the chef, the way he came out, he was bowlegged in those shorts. And then, you know, he wore the ankle socks with, you know, black man feet, you know, flat feet. And, you know, with the fire that was, you know, white like Yasser Arafat, he stood out and he looked so menacing. And then the whole group that was with him, it was like, it, it was a gang of them, bro. It was about 20 or 30 cats on stage. And you know what I'm saying? And the crowd went nuts. And they did not have enough microphones for the entire group. So the Wu-Tang Clan had to share the microphone. So, you know, Raekwon had the microphone first and the cord was too short. They didn't use cordless mics. So the cord was too short, really, at that point of the mic that he had. So he was fixed in position. But the way he was just menacingly just, 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 you know what I'm saying, just bowlegging his way around the stage, looking at you with that solicitous group, like, I'm a Brooklyn Duke, I'm about to rob you. You know what I'm saying? It was like, who are these cats? Who is that cat? I mean, I mean, all of them look like they smell bad. I gotta be honest. They was grimy like that. And it was like, and they didn't give a F. They was just looking at you like they were about to beat you up. So it was like, you know, let me tuck in my chain, not from the crowd, but from the rappers. You know what I'm saying? They were that evil looking. And uh, when their music started, it just, I mean, it was just like that Dave Chappelle, Ku Klux Klan, you know, um, episode where dude's head just exploded. The beat dropped. The beat dropped. I think the first song was chess, boxing. But when the beat dropped and you felt that low-end kick, it hit you in the stomach like a mule. And, you know, that's when Ray Kwan got to just ripping it. 
And then they were just nonstop ripping it. The crowd was just, I mean, the, I mean, it's, it's, it's a swagger that Wu-Tang's music puts you in. It puts you in a trance. You know what I'm saying? That early river, you know, production, it was just so, so sparse, the beats. And it, it hit you so hard. And the, when the breaks came, you know, when they, they came in with a down, 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 you know, it was like, oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? You couldn't help it. You could not help it. You couldn't help it. And the whole place, and I don't know if you ever been to the shelter, but it's like a warehouse type of thing because it's an old bomb shelter. It's black. It's stark. You know what I'm saying? It's like, please, nobody steal my wallet. You know what I'm saying? It was just kind of get a you know what I'm saying? And, and DJ Red Alert, the legendary DJ Red Alert, was begging the crowd, okay, okay, we're going to bring them out. They're coming out. They're coming out. But can y'all at least give these other, you know, numb nut rappers the respect to let them get their dims off before we bring them out? Don't worry, we're going to bring them out. So then they had to bring out the Wu. And the way the way the way the Wu came out, it was like only thing they can compare is if you. Look at an old Michael Jackson clip where he would just bust out and smoke onto the stage and just stand there with his glasses and he just stand motionlessly for like, you know, two minutes or whatever. And the crowd just lose their mind waiting for him to move. That's the way Raekwon had the crowd. But when the beat dropped, I mean, it was just like, it was just like a little, how do you say, a, a, a pre-pubescent girl screaming over new kids on the block. I mean, I lost my mind. I mean, I was screaming like a B-I-T-C-H. You know, once they beats hit, and then once Raekwon started spitting, it was over, son. It was over. And then you can notice, you know what I'm saying, the, the Raekwon. Then, of course, when Ghostface started spitting, you notice that cat because of his lyrics. And then, you know what I'm saying, the, the tonality of the RZA matching with the Gizza, you notice that stuff. You really notice that stuff. But then that guy, old dirty bastard, once he got to ripping it, once he grabbed the microphone from one of the members of the Wu-Tang and he worked it from stage right to stage left, he had the whole crowd jumping and bumping. His lyrics, the way he was freestyling and the way he was rolling with, I mean, I call it a freestyle. Maybe it was just, you know, the, the routine lyrics, because like I said, I was, I was ignorant to that point to their whole, you know, saying album, their whole, because, you know, saying at that point, you know, Protect Your Neck wasn't even in Cincinnati at that point. You know, you had to go to that, that, that program they used to have back in the day where you used to have to pay two ninety nine to watch the video in order to see Protect Your Neck. And the box. yeah, you know, and you know, it sent me straight to the box, you know, after that show. And this is back in nineteen ninety three, you know what I'm saying, to, to watch that, you know, that protect your neck. Because it was like, Oh my god, the minute you saw that, it was banging. Now, it was old dirty bastard show. Cause he came out of nowhere, out of nowhere. It was just a shock of a lifetime to see these grimy, smelly, filthy Negroes. They didn't try to and no disrespect to these groups, you know, when you see old, old clips of Big Daddy Kane with Scoop and Scrap, they kind of glammed up for the stage. But, you know, Kane is from Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? He would be your ass. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, Kid and Play, you know what I'm saying? They had, you know, they would get shows. And then, you know, Kwame, they had, they looked, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, 
Wu-Tang Clan was the first group. They just like, okay, yeah, we just made it here on the train. We here to do y'all's show. We don't give a F. You know what I'm saying about glamming up? We keeping it gritty. We keeping it grimy. We keeping it real. We keeping it Shaolin. At that point, it was like, I'm on these niggas' day for life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wu-Tang Clan is the group that brought New York back. Now, Biggie came back as the lyricist and as a solo and as dynamic as he was. But Wu-Tang Clan is where it's like, no, I'm in the Chicago area right now. I'm walking into a spot where, you know, little gangster disciples are selling weed and what have you. And on my phone, I got, you know what I'm saying, Black Jesus by Ghostface Killer Plant. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, we wanted a little young, you know, BGs like, now that's real hip hop he's listening to. And I was just to effect, right off Titty, you knew this group was a classic. You knew this was real hip hop. You knew they took it back to the bone gristle. They didn't try to do the MC light, you know, dressing up for the Arsenio Hall show. They didn't, you know, saying try to do the let Emil Wilberkin from Vibe magazine put Big Daddy Kane into that purple suit on the Vibe cover, which ruined his career. You know what I'm saying? They just, they just, I mean, they just came out like the way they were. How long did they perform? Man, it seemed like to me a lifetime because that show is still playing in my mind. But it was a good half hour performance because you got to realize this was a showcase and they were the headliner of that showcase, which shocked the shit out of me. You know what I'm saying? Actually meeting Papa Wu in Nashville, Tennessee and seeing the way Wu-Tang Clan hangs out you know, after they did a show when they was on tour with Rage Against the Machine, that's when they stopped doing, you know, like, okay, how many Wu-Tang members are going to show up for this show? That's when they stopped missing planes. and You know, that's what really stopped their buzz. And, you know, the Rizzo talks about it in interviews to where it's like, hey, cats, we got the number one, you know, album in the country, like I promised you that we would. Let us put it together and, you know, make this money and make these shows. But I don't know what was going on with the Wu that they wouldn't make their shows, you know what I'm saying, at spots like that. But they were always there that night. But who rapped and what were they rapping about? Who knows such things? Because at that point, their whole album hadn't blown up like it did. But after the Shelter show, man, everybody that, that was any, it was only two shows that, you know, two showcases, seminars that people would go to from an urban perspective, New Music Seminar and Jack the Rapper. And the Wu-Tang Clan opened up the door for Mob Deep, you know what I'm saying, for Noriega, you know, Capone, you know, all those gritty, you know, Queensbridge rappers and, you know, the Nas, Wu-Tang Clan opened up the door for them because they brought New York back with that shelter show. They stole the whole new music seminar and they wasn't in none of the showcases. So how long after that, after that, uh, the new music, the new music seminar Wu-Tang performance did Protect Your Neck and other Wu-Tang songs reach Cincinnati? Oh, immediately, immediately, immediately. Because like I said, you know, and I'm using Ebonics at that point, immediately, because any and everybody from Cincinnati and Dayton that I brought up with me brought the Wu-Tang back with them. You know what I'm saying? They brought the story of the Wu-Tang. Then at that point on the box, you know what I'm saying, the Wu-Tang Protect Your Neck video started blowing up. It started blowing up. Then 
MTV rap started playing the Wu-Tang, you know, saying, uh, protect your neck, you know, that started blowing up. And that was just a really gritty, grimy video, particularly when you look at the actual, the actual video number, you know, still playing on it. And it was like, wow, wow. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't stop talking. I still can't. You know, started, you know, talking about the Wu-Tang Clan. You know what I'm saying? It was like, you, 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 after that show, you couldn't shut your mouth about the Wu-Tang Clan. You just couldn't shut your mouth. So, yeah, you know, everybody, you know, saying from different parts of the country took back that was there at that. Even before the show, they set up the buzz by doing just brilliant street team promotions. They wasn't all up in the Marriott Marquis, which is where the, the, the daytime, you know, where Carl Kanai, where Too Short, where um, Chuck D would sit on the panels and Spike Lee would gabble. You know what I'm saying? I asked those, I said, hey, all of y'all up there are millionaires, right? Uh, how come you don't put your, you know, your money into uh, production? I mean, not production, but into distribution, because that's the ownership of rap at that point in time, was distribution. You know, you had to go through the white boys to get your product out there. You see what I'm saying? So why don't we start our own distribution? So, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan did not represent at those boring lectures and you know what at the seminar but at you know the showcases you had a choice to make now do i and it wasn't just hip-hop at those showcases it was also rap i mean uh rock and roll groups trying to break you know saying that's why i brought the method up there you know what i'm saying you didn't hear about the wu-tang clan you read about them you read about them in the source because at that point the source was real the source was real, you know what I'm saying? They really, 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 you know what I'm saying? You know, um, did the, I mean, your whole, your whole goal was to get the, uh, unsigned talent, you know, recognition from, you know, saying the source magazine, that's what brought Biggie out. So at that point, yeah, you read about the Wu-Tang Clan, but it was like, okay, I can't hear their music in Ohio until that show, because at that point you demanded it and, you know, you demanded it by going over some other bro's house you know what I'm saying, who got a little piece of money. And you, you, you know, you called in that, that, that box and you charged it to her phone number to watch Protect Your Neck, Protect Your Neck over and over and over again until MTV started playing. You get me? That was in the days when people used to use the VHS tape and record your MTV raps and BET raps so that way you can watch your rap videos over and over and over so you wouldn't have to use the box because we didn't have YouTube back then. <laughs> So, yeah, you know. So, you know, with your experience at the New Music Seminar and I guess like seeing Wu-Tang after that, uh, did you imagine that, you know, they would go on to have like the legacy that they have now and, you know. You know, I want to say no, you know, the hater in me, but I got to say, I want to say yes, because at that point I got tears in my eyes thinking about old dirty bastards slapping my hand. <laughs> and, and then, you know, the following year after that, you know, I had moved to Atlanta where they actually started a Wu-Tang store that was the hottest store in Atlanta at that one point. And their gear flew off, they flew off the shelf. And then when you see Asian broads wearing Wu-Tang shirts, you knew that was a broad that you could holler at. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And everybody wanted Wu-Tang gear. That's why I said they did such a brilliant pro, uh, street team. Because that's what I did with Death Row Records. I, I was a, a regional street team promoter in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, big ups to, you know, big big homie Suge, you know what I'm saying, for putting me on because I had caught a gun case. So I needed to show, you know what I'm saying, um, 
you know, uh, paycheck stubs to my, my probation officer. And, uh, you know what I'm saying? So they did just brilliant street team promotions. Not only, you know, the method man, you know, hyping him up. So that way, you know, he was a handsome guy, the group. So, you know what I'm saying? A lot of the bras was there to see method man. So you definitely noticed him, you know, cause he had a really, he had a biker type of swag to him that you didn't see, you know, in hip hop, you know, and he was handsome. He was, he was a pretty boy in the group. So, you know, he would put on the, you know, put the method man, you know, on those spots where post no bills, but they gave us no F. And then, you know, you would see that Wu-Tang logo. And once you saw the Wu-Tang logo, you couldn't get it out of your head. And then once you heard they beats, and then once you saw the way they just, they just, they just, they swayed. They didn't dance. You know what I'm saying? They didn't gangster boogie. They was just clicked up and they just, they were swooning. You know, they was like, you know what I'm saying? They, they was in the rapture. And that's the best way to describe a, the Wu-Tang Clan performances at that point. You was just caught up in the rapture. You know, you wanted it. You you know, you can't get a suit. Like, can we please get the suit? You know what I'm saying? It's like, who's the suit? Who's the suit? I got to wrap this up. So in closing, with all that said, um, I'm curious to know, uh, what's your favorite Wu-Tang solo album? Oh, come on, man. You already know it's Ghostface Killer. Uh, what was his first solo album called? Uh, Iron Man. You know that. Come on. Black Jesus and then that one cut with Mary J. Blige, all I got is you. I had that experience. The, come on, when you got a thousand roaches busting out the tricks box and you look at their mammy and you realize, I ain't eating breakfast today, am I? You know what I'm saying? That make big niggas cry like he said, man. Come on. Ghostface Killer. Slew-footed Penguin. Black Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And kick down the door to spot 260. You, you know, what's up? I still use that on bras today. What's up with your girlfriend, Wanda? You know, drives a green Honda with a leg like Jane Fonda. I just left her. You know what I'm saying? He's the one who put uh, 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 Wallabies on the map. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, ghost, and then Ghostface Killer. Hey, my thing, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm beefing with these cats from Mood, you know what I'm saying, from Cincinnati. I was going to get out at the Ghostface Killer, you know, show that he did solo. You know what I'm saying? And he said one thing that he, you got to bite it. You, you got to bite it. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, you know, he invited all the broads on stage with him to dance with Ghostface Killer. Every broad at the show left with this one broad. Because if she had left, I would have got to hurt. Her, her little boyfriend, Dante, from Mood. But Ghostface Killer said, hey, yo, yo, don't handcuff her. Don't handcuff her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, you know, that's my favorite. You know, I mean, you know, that's my favorite. You know, of course, you know, only made for Cuban links is his gangster, 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 gangster. But Ghostface Killer, that's my favorite Wu-Tang member. The most, hey, the coolest one to meet in, in person is Golden Arms. He's cool as hell. Papa Wu. He's a real, hey, hey, Papa Wu don't play. He, hey, hey, talk black to me is what he talk, told me. You know what I'm saying? Talk black to me. You know, that's how you got to talk to the Wu. Don't talk that educated, this, that, and whatever. Talk black to me, brother. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, man, you know, they swag, they, 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 they lingual, and then they confidence is all manifested, you know what I'm saying, in their albums. You know what I'm saying? Because they really, they really were about that life. And that's why I, I respect the Wu. And even in Chicago, 
real hip hop. That's the Wu Tang. They're real hip hop. It ain't about the music. It ain't about your beats by Dre. And you know, peace for Dr. Dre. He insulted me. Called the weed. I fucking hustled up and gave Mooga Booga. But it was compared to that Cali Lao. But you know, it was a drought in Ohio at that time. But no, nah, you know what I'm saying? They, they was real, real, real Negroes. Where can uh, people find you and everything like that? Um, YouTube, MC Rude, Kill 'Em All, 1992. You know, my first album. And I did a record with MC uh, Breed and Too Short uh, at Dark Studios in Atlanta. But you can go to YouTube. Um, you can Google me. You know, it'll be my signature song, Kill 'Em All, you know, with the album cover. You know, it's the first thing you do if you put MC Rude, Kill 'Em All, you know, um, on. Um, on, on Google, but also on YouTube, you know, you got you know, one block of song says rude. It's seven. You know, it's my whole EP that tone boost brilliantly produced. And, um, you know, you can find me on YouTube at this point. With that said, if, if any of you guys, uh, want to, you know, leave me a message, uh, get a shout out on the podcast, whatever like that, you can, uh, leave a message or you can, you can even send a text at four four three eight eight five zero nine nine seven one more time four four three eight eight five zero nine nine seven with that said uh you can find me at single superior on twitter on instagram you can uh find the podcast at wu-tang podcast on instagram twitter and all that uh please be sure to to subscribe and everything like that with apple Podcasts. find us on stitcher soundcloud youtube and we are out Peace. Peace. I just tried to tell the truth. I'm getting emotional about that show, man. That's the greatest hip hop show I've ever seen in my life. It was underground. It was strictly underground. If you didn't know who the Wu Tang Clan was, you wasn't at that show. So they were awesome like that. Peace to the God, you know, uh, old dirty bastard. You know what I'm saying? Only the good die young. You know, Tupac and Biggie wouldn't be the legendary figures they were today if they didn't die young. Sorry, we got to sacrifice our, you know, um, youth like that, but America East is young.